Generosity has um, become very popular in our day. I don't know if you've noticed it. You've got um, a guy like Bill Gates who's giving millions and millions of dollars through his foundation to support a lot of educational things in our country. You've got Oprah who's given millions around the world, especially in Africa. She's got a new show, The Big Give, right? American Idol gives back, another big thing of generosity, millions to the poor in our country and around the world. And, and then you've got this show um, that Ty Pennington does. Have you, you ever seen this one? I mean, this guy is the poster child for ADD. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> must drink a serious amount of coffee. Extreme home makeover, right? And um, th- what, I, what I notice, especially in this show, is that generosity moves people. I mean, emotionally moves people. So there's always like three groups of people who are crying when you ever watch the show. Have you noticed that? It starts out in the bus, right? So it's the design team. They get it going. And I don't know how you ladies do it. You do that dab thing under the eyes. So the mascara, you know. So there's always a little dabbing of the eyes as they hear the story of this family in need. And then there's the family, right? If it doesn't happen when Ty shows up with his bullhorn, good morning, Miller family. You know, it, it, it always happens when they scream out, move that what bus. And there's the jumping and the screaming and the, oh my God's about 52 times. And, and then there's the crying. There, there's always tears. It's just, they're just overwhelmed with joy, having experienced this wave of generosity. Because a lot of times it's even more than a house, right? They get cars and the kids' college funds get funded and sometimes their mortgage gets paid off. It's a pretty big thing going on. But then there's a third group. It usually gets choked up. These are the macho guys in the hard hats and the steel-toed boots, right? The construction owners, they're always moved. Well, what's going on there? Well, I think the design team is moved by the need. The family is moved by the generosity. And, and I think the owners of those construction companies are moved by this boomeranging effect of generosity that comes back to them, that they, that's so soul-satisfying and, and pleasure that they, they've done something good for somebody else. And they're almost surprised at how it moves them as they've been involved in that. I think for a lot of those guys, they'd say, it's the most significant thing I've ever done in my life. Well, it's good to remember that we're created in the image of God and that our God is a generous God. And when we act generously, it's because we're acting like our Father, the one we're to bear His image of in this world. And this month, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about bearing the image of a generous God through generous living. And I'm really excited. I'm excited by what what God's going to do in my heart and in our hearts as we kind of give a little focused attention to this whole matter of generosity. And my prayer is that there's, there's something that starts happening that there's a, a growing dimension to our hearts from being small to being more large-hearted. That, that the things that we hold so tightly would start to loosen. That, that we wouldn't be stingy people anymore. That we'd be extravagant. That we'd know more and more what it means to bear the image of a generous God. And so as we think about generous living, today we're going to talk about sharing our gifts, the spiritual gifts God has given us, the natural talents and abilities He's given us. Next week, we're going to be talking about sharing our treasure. The week after that, Super Sunday, appropriately, we're going to be talking about sharing the mercy and compassion of God with people in need. And then finally, we're going to talk about sharing our hearts, our homes, hospitality. 
So that's where we're heading. And to get it off, we're going to go to Romans 12. So dig in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, page 803 in your Bibles. And we're going to read the opening two verses, but look at the first 10. And as we read verse 1, I want you to just look at this key command that kind of sets off the teaching here that's going to be huge for us as we get a better understanding of what it means to live generously as God's people. So Paul here is writing to the people in Rome, the, the believers in Rome, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you see the command there? It's pretty clear. We're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice back to God. Holy, pleasing, that's the word acceptable to God. Now, generous living starts with this understanding that my body belongs to God. In fact, when When Paul's using that word body, it's meaning all that we have and all that we are. It's the teaching that we have in the Old Testament in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And generous living begins as we understand that, that all that we have and all that we are belongs to God. And what he's calling us to do here today is, And in Scripture, as we study it in the next weeks, is not to give a little bit more. It's to give our all. He's asked us to be a living sacrifice. Now, you think about sacrifices, and immediately you go back to the whole sacrifices that were given by God's people in the Old Testament. And what they would bring is they would bring an animal that was going to be killed for the forgiveness of their sins. They were a substitute for that person. And that animal is laid on the altar and sacrificed to God. Now he says here, he's not asking us to bring an animal, is he? He's not asking us to bring something else. He's asking us to bring ourselves, all of who we are, and to get up on the altar and not die, but live dying giving up ourselves to God, and we'll see later in the text, to others. It's a call not to live sacrificially. It's a call to be a living sacrifice. It's the difference between the chicken and the pig who got together one day in the farmyard, and the chicken said, hey, Mr. Pig, why don't we do breakfast tomorrow? Tell you what, I'll bring the egg dish. Why don't you bring the bacon? (laughs) See, the, the chicken was willing to sacrifice. The, the pig, if he accepted, was willing to be a sacrifice. The calling here is to be a living sacrifice. So generous living begins as we understand that all that we have in our belongs to God. And when we offer all that we have in our to God, what happens is we are worshiping him. We're doing, we're experiencing God's will, which is good and which is pleasing and which is perfect. That's a good thing to remember. God's commands are good. They're not just good for God. They're not just pleasing to God. They're pleasing to God's people. It's what's a little bit what's going on with that, the owner of the construction company. He's, he's finding the pleasure of doing God's will, whether he knows he's doing it or not. 
It's pleasurable. That's what we're called to. And the implications of this is that we aren't just worshiping when we come here. We're worshiping God throughout this week in all of life with all that we have as we continually offer it back to God and say, this is my time. I got 168 hours this week, Lord, and they're all yours. Every hour, every minute. Lord, all the money you've given me, it's, it's from you. It's all yours. Uh, all the things that you've given me, bless me with relationships, children, spouse, parents, wh- whatever, they're, they're yours, Lord. I, I, I recognize all that I have is from you. And I want to live in light of that, giving it all back to you, just following your lead, worshiping you. That means that right now, there's two worship services going on. There's this thing right here. And then downstairs, the people that are serving our children and loving them for Christ, they're worshiping too. There's another worship service going on. You see that? That's what he's saying here. When we serve, offering ourselves to God, all that we are to God is a living sacrifice. We're worshiped. We're worshiping him. It's our first value. A life of worship. Worshiping God in all of life with all of our hearts. There's something else that's going on here. It's what Giovanni was talking about last week. Remember, he was talking about our, our brother from Sumpango. He was talking about, you know, when this offering plate gets passed around. He said, you know, sometimes we put a dollar in there. Sometimes we put ten. Sometimes we put a check in there. And he says, God's not asking us for more money. He, he's not even asking us for our whole wallet. He, he wants us to, remember what he said? He wants us to, what, get in. I'm trying to figure out how you do that, Giovanni. So it's just not going to work. But you get the picture. We're, we're supposed to offer ourselves all that we are, all that we have back to God as a living sacrifice. So that's the groundwork of a generous life is an understanding that all that I have is his. And he's asked me now to continually offer it all back to him as a living sacrifice. Now, all of a sudden, you get to verse 2, and like there's this warning light that's flashing, saying, but watch out, because there's something that's going to make it really hard for you to do that, to live like that. And what it is, it's this powerful force called the pattern of this world. You see it right there in verse 2? Do not conform. It's in the passive tense, which means it's something that happens to us. And what he's saying is, don't let this pattern of the world, the mold of the world, the thinking of the world, all that is contrary to God and his good, pleasing, and perfect will, all that is contrary to his purposes and his character, don't let that stuff shape you into its mold because you will no longer reflect the image of a generous God. You'll never lay down your life for God and for others. You'll no longer be that living sacrifice that lives on the altar. You're going to head somewhere completely different. And it's a powerful force, and it's all around us in culture, and we're called to live in this world. The answer is not, get out, get out, separate, don't ever have anything to do with it. The Scripture says we're to be in the world, but not what? Of the world. We're to be salt and light. But being of the world means now we're starting to be shaped by how the world thinks instead of how the Word tells us to think. And so the Word, the world works like this. It says, get on the throne. The word says, no, get on the altar. The world says, you've got to take care of yourself because nobody else is. You've got to look out for number one. It's that bumper sticker. Have you seen it? If you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. You know, you've got to get ahead. You've got to take care of yourself. The word says, no, you've got to take care of others. And just trust that God's going to take care of you. 
keeping outward, outward focused. The world says, you're the man. The word says, Jesus is the man. It's not about you. The world says, hey, you only live once. Go for it, man. Live and let live. Party hardy, man. The word says, well, actually, there, there is something after this life. There's eternal life. And it's a point for man wants to die. And then and there's a day of rec- reckoning. There's judgment. The world says, hey, it's the powerful who will be first. So grab the power. Now, the word says, it's the servant who will be first. Grab the towel. Serve, humble yourself. Well, well, how do we do that? Because it, it's powerful. It's, it's all around the media. It's the conversations we overhear at, at, the, at, at the workplace. It's the, the things that we hear on the radio, things that we read, the videos, the movies, the internet. I mean, it's all around us. What is the answer to not being squeezed into the world's mold here so we no longer live as we're supposed to and experience the pleasure of doing God's good, perfect will? He says the answer is you've got to be transformed. And again, it's in the passive. It's something that happens to you. Well, how, how does that, what, what transforms me? Well, he says you've got to be transformed by a renewed mind. Okay, so it's my renewed mind that transforms the way I think and live. So the question is, how do I get my mind renewed? And the answer is through the word. So Jesus prays in John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God's true truth, his word, does that. It renews our thinking and our mind so that we know what's true and we know what's not. Remember in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all scripture is God-breathed. It's from God. It's living and it's useful. What's it useful for? For teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God is adequately equipped for every good work. And so to have a mind renewed means to have the word actively shaping our thinking because... As a man thinks, so is he. And our thoughts and our attitudes lead to actions when repeated become the habits of our life that start to mold the character of who we are. And the character of a generous person starts and begins with a mind that's renewed in the truth of God's word. And when our minds are renewed and shaped by the word, then we live on the altar. When it's not, we'll get off the altar and head for the throne. So it starts off with this understanding, all that we have is God's, and it it continues in verses 1 and 2, and it says, now that you understand that all that you have belongs to God, well, then you know you're supposed to offer it back to God. And then in verses 3 and following, it moves from this vertical dimension and direction to all of a sudden a horizontal. It says, well, if you're really offering your body as a living sacrifice to God, then you'll know that you're doing that when you start loving each other as you offer your gifts in love, serving them. And that's where he goes in verses 3 and following. So we understand here in verse 3 that serving requires humility. The, the other point of it is we understand that one of the world's ways is pride. And when pride marks our life, we're understanding, ah, we're getting shaped, we're getting squeezed, we're following the pattern of the world, not the pattern of the word. So what does he say in verse 3? For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. That's pride. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Or I like how J.B. Phillips paraphrases it. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself. 
or your importance. But try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. And so pride moves us inward. When we're proud, we're focused on ourself. And when we're focused on ourself, all of a sudden we're not focused on the people around us. You know, generosity is not the mark of someone who has a lot. It's the mark of someone who gives a lot. And all of a sudden, our pride just, it, it, it blinds us to what's going on around because all that we see is us. All that we care about is me. And we're not even looking at the ways in which we could be generous and extravagant with the resources that God has given us to meet somebody else where they're at. So it's this pride that would get us to think as it comes to service that, you know, I I don't do windows, man. I I, I don't do that kind of serving. I'm I'm above that. I got this kind of a job. I've got this kind of an educational pedigree. I've got this kind of a family background. You know, know, we, my fears, we don't do that kind of stuff. Somebody else can do that. It's this pride that walks into the church that, that, that says, you know, I don't need anybody. I don't need anything. I got the whole package here. It's this, this pride that makes people feel really inferior because you keep acting superior to everyone and everything around you. And even in our best efforts, when we serve as a proud person, our whole motives are mixed up. It's like the story that Tim Keller tells, pastor out in New York, about this king who one day was visited by a peasant farmer who brings the king the biggest carrot that he's ever grown. And he's so proud of his big carrot that he wanted the king to have it. And so he gets an audience with the king and he gives him the carrot. And the king discerned that this man's heart was a good heart. He was generous. And he received it with great thanks. And he said, I know that your land is right up against my land. I got land, a lot of land right next to yours. You know, I want to give you some of my land so you can grow some more of those big carrots. And, and the, the peasant farmer was just overwhelmed by the generosity of the king. And then there was a nobleman who was listening in the courtyard. He's going, man, if a carrot gets you land, what could I get for one of my horses? This is a good deal. So the next day, he bought, brought in his, his, his stallion, the finest stallion he'd ever bred, and he gave it to the king. And the king discerned his heart. And he accepted the gift and Kind of went back and sat down on the throne and, and, and the nobleman's kind of going, well. And the king kind of discerned his heart, didn't he? And he said, well, let me tell you that when that peasant farmer that you saw brought in the carrot, when he gave the carrot, he gave it for me. But I, I'm discerning that you, you gave the horse for yourself. You did it for you, for what you could get out of it. And pride will do that. I mean, pride will mess us up in so many different ways. And it messes us up as a family here in the church. So what's the cure? What's the cure? Well, the text says we are to have sober judgment. We're not to think too highly of ourselves, And pride could have us even thinking too lowly of ourselves. So don't always think the, the pride, proud person is the arrogant one. Sometimes it's the, the person who's always putting themselves down that's just as fixated with themselves. He said, the answer here is sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith. What, is that, what does that mean, sober judgment? Where do I see myself rightly? Right here. That's where I see myself rightly. 
I, I place myself positionally under the cross, and I all of a sudden realize, hey, that's level ground here. You and I are all on the same footing because at the cross, we see ourselves, first of all, as sinners who deserve God's wrath, his judgment. But at the cross, I don't just see myself as a sinner. I see myself as an object of love, that he would send his only son to die for me on that cross, a violent, horrific death. We get it right at the cross. And so it's humility that is important as we go out serving. And that humility not only helps us see ourselves for who we are, but it helps us see the church for what it is. That's where he goes next. Look at verses 4 and 5. Now he's starting to talk about this thing, the body, the church, the metaphor for the church. Just as each of us has one body with many, many members, you know, hands and fingers and toes and noses and ears, and these members do not all have the same function. Of course they don't. So in Christ, we who are many form one, mem- form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Now, one of the things we need to realize, and it's part of this world's pattern, that the world says in America, independence is very high value. I mean, it's our national history. And it, it, we desire it to be our personal history. We want to be independent. We don't start a day going, man, I hope I'm really needy today. We go, I hope I'm freed up from having to be a drag on anybody. We want personal independence. We want financial independence. We, we don't want to have to depend on anybody. It's what we hate about these rising gas prices. Why can't we have more of our own oil fields? We don't like that. That's, that, that's just so much a part of being an American. And we need to understand that when God starts telling us about the Christian life and about the family of God, he says it's, it's not about independence. That independence is what God, has got us messed up from the very beginning, trying to act independently of God. That's what's made this whole place chaotic anyways and twisted and crooked and fallen. He said it's interdependence. It's interdependence that we model here in the church. So we're like this body. And you think about these amputated these amputated Christians that would be like cutting off a part of our body and thinking somehow it's just going to grow and survive and thrive on its own. It doesn't happen like that. But we think sometimes, I don't need the church. And Paul's saying, when we have sound judgment, we understand we desperately need the church. We're one in the church. Christ is our head. We're one body. But this unity is diverse. There's all different kinds of people who have all different kinds of gifts. That's you and me. Well, he goes on to talk about those different gifts, doesn't he, in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. The point here is, Use the different gifts God has given you. There's seven different gifts here. There's a whole bunch more, maybe 12 or 13 more gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Ephesians chapter 4. They're throughout the New Testament. We probably don't have an exhaustive list, but the teaching in Scripture is clear. If you know Christ and have a spirit in you, guess what? You've got a gift. Nobody here can say, well, that's not true because I was in the gift line. And when I got to the front of the line, God said, I am so sorry, but I'm out of gifts today. I didn't get one. 
No, the scripture says we all got at least one gift. There's no gift that's been given to everybody, and there's nobody here who has all the gifts that could say, I'm my own deal. I got all of it. I don't need you. No, we do need each other. And we're to use these gifts. And he tells us how we're to use these gifts. There's some specific things going on for these seven gifts mentioned here. If you got the mercy gift, boy, make sure that you continue to do it with cheer. Because, you know, it's hard to be around people in misery. And it's hard to be around when nobody else is helping you help the people in misery. And all of a sudden, you can lose the cheer. You know, you got these really great gifts in leadership. You know what? You can pull it off. You can wing it. Because those are the kind of gifts God has given you. He says, don't do that. You got to do, be diligent. You got the, the gift of giving. You, you better keep being generous. Don't get stingy. But then he goes on to say, it, it's more than those specific things. It's all about love. Serving requires love. And the scriptures are so clear throughout the New Testament that if we think that we can serve without love, we're fooling ourselves because that kind of service won't do the impact that God wants to happen. And so we have in verses 9 and 10, clear teaching about love again. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Huge, this whole thing of love. What it means is God is just as concerned with how you serve as he is that you serve. So when you ever say, well, man, I did it. I did my deal, God. You happy? Well, I can tell you the answer to that one is, no, he's not. He's not happy. Because we won't be serving in the right way for the right reasons. It's in love where we put others before ourselves, he says. And so we think about, wow, that's a pretty high calling. That we recognize that everything we have is from God. And we start living in light of that reality. Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. and Offering ourselves to each other in loving service, using our gifts and all that we have to help each other grow. Because these things aren't trophies. Remember last year we were talking about, but they're tools. We don't put them on a shelf and shine them and go, those are cool. No, we put them to work because these are gifts that he's given you to help me grow, to help us grow, to be more like Christ so that we're better fitted to do the work of Christ in this world, reaching those who don't know him, growing those who do. And you've got a huge, important part Don't say, it's a big place. They're never going to miss me. Yeah, we are. Because God has joined us together and he's made you unique. And you holding your part out of it does not allow this body to function quite as it should. And if any of you have got missing body parts, like I've got something missing in my gut here. It's a little part. I didn't even know I had it. But when they took it out, I, I know it every day. My digestive system will never be the same. I've got to take medicine to keep it right. I didn't know I had the part. I need the part. You think, oh, they don't even know who I am. They don't need me. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Because the work that God has called us to is huge. And it's so much more than about us. It's about all the people who aren't even here right now. It's people in Madison. It's people in your family. It's people in your neighborhood. And, and to reach them... We got to grow. We got to do it together that we could change lives and change the world. So, how are we going to get there? I mean, how do, we, how do we get to being generous people? How do we get to the point of sharing all that God has given us? Well, let me tell you how we're not going to get there at Door Creek. And it's been used many times. You probably had it used on you guilt. It's really effective. 
I mean, it really works. You make someone feel really guilty, so then they start to serve. I mean, it'd be like this. This is hypothetical, so nobody move. It'd be like this. Everybody who's serving here at Door Creek, stand up. Give yourself a hand. And and let's pray for those who aren't standing right now. (laughs) Um, Pastor Wayne would like to bring the three-year-olds across the platform. Aren't they cute? They're cute, but there's a problem. These poor little three-year-olds don't have a teacher. Why is it they don't have a teacher? You should be ashamed of yourself. Who's going to step up and meet the need? You see what I'm saying? You use shame, you use guilt. That's, that's not good. Puts round things in square holes. Start having people serve in areas they, they, they aren't gifted to serve in. They're, and, and they're starting to serve for the wrong reasons, aren't they? We're not going to do that. Whew, good. All right. And we're not going to use trickery. You know, trickery is where you trip somebody in the atrium, and on their way down, as they're kind of bracing the fall, you hand them a curriculum for one of the kids' ministries. Hey, thanks for volunteering. That's great. So how do we get there? How do we get to being generous? How how are you going to get there? Well, the text gives us the answer. Look at verse 1. It tells us real clearly how we're going to get there. We're going to get there by having our eyes open wide to the mercies of God. It's literally plural here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, the, the point of the text is this. When your eyes, when our eyes are open wide to the mercies of God, we'll want to serve. When our eyes are open wide and we really understand what God has done for us in Christ, we'll want to open our hearts to others, to God and to others. It'll be instinctive. It'll be reflexive like Isaiah who before the Almighty God sees his sin, experiencing God's cleansing mercy when God says, well, who's going to go for us and tell people the message that I have to go? He jumps to his feet and says, send me, I'll go. Let me go. He didn't even think about it. It just happened instinctively because he had just had this fresh wash of God's mercy in his life. It's the mercy of God that Paul's been talking about for 11 chapters the mercy of God that would give a gospel. It's the power of God for salvation that, that would, that as this gospel is believed in, is the hope for all people, Jew and Gentile. It's the mercy of God in chapter 2, verse 5, where God's kindness would lead us to having a change of mind where we don't know, no longer want to live like the world lives. We don't, no longer want to live on the throne. It's the mercy of God that tells us that we're sinners in need of grace, chapter 3, and that we're justified not by our own works, but what Christ has done on the cross. It's the mercy of God that tells us that we can have peace with God, chapter 5, verse 1. It's the mercy of God that says in chapter 6 that though the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life. So in chapter 8, verse 1, there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in in Christ. It's the mercies of God. It would tell us in chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the mercy of God that tells us that he who did not spare his own son, will he not with him also give us all things? Yeah, he will. It's the mercy of God that gives us a new heart to believe. It's the mercy of God that has us confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He's Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the mercies of God. And when our eyes are open to the mercies of God, guess what? This is how we'll live. And so we go, man, if, if I, I'm not kind of wired right now to, to live like this, then we go, what's wrong? I, I'm just not seeing it. 
I'm not seeing the mercies of God. And so what I can say is our commitment here at Door Creek is that we hold high Jesus Christ. And then we grow in our understanding of his awesome, generous mercy, God's mercy to us in Christ. Then we keep fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our salvation. That that's our commitment to you, that this will be a Christ-exalting, centered place, and that the more we see him, the more we'll get it right with each other and to this world. So how's your heart? Large or small, any blockage there? Any clots of pride, individualism, world's pattern, blocking the flow of generosity? Let Christ give you a new heart. And remember, as, as we go to be people of generosity, if we don't have Christ's spirit in us, this is never going to happen. But he's, he's the one. He's the one, the ultimate living sacrifice. And God's given us the cross and he's given us the table, the bread and the cup for us to always remember what he's done for us, to always keep it in view. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. The one who left the throne room became a servant. The one who never conformed to the patterns of this world the one who can change your heart and mine to live like this. Well, we're going to pass the, the communion elements. And for those of you who are new to Door Creek, you need to know that communion is, is a remembering of Jesus' death on the cross for us. And for any of you, any of you who know and love Jesus Christ as Savior, then this meal is for you. And we encourage you to take of it. These elements come and they're nested together. The the cracker and, and the juice, take them both. And we're going to be singing several songs together. And as we have an opportunity um, to just quietly prepare our hearts before the Lord, then I just would encourage you to take it when you are ready. Okay? We're not going to take it together as we normally do, but as you are ready. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your generosity in Christ. We confess the smallness of our own hearts. We confess that there's a lot of things that we're holding on tight to that we don't want to let go of. And we confess, Lord, that the holding on, the stinginess, has not brought us what we thought it would. So we want to let it go. Free us from these things. Give us new hearts, renew our hearts, purify our hearts. And Lord, grow us to be a generous people. Grow us to be a generous church that constantly points people to you, our generous God. Amen.